What's up, Cape Christian? Who's excited to be at church today? Yes, okay, all right, all right. Well, welcome to Cape Christian. We're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, I know it's already been said, but if you are a guest or a visitor, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and if you are somebody who brought somebody or invited somebody, thank you because you have the heart and the DNA of what it means to be a part of this church. We are a church for everyone. Uh, you can come as you are. There's not a lot of pretense in religion. Um, we just have one rule here that there are no perfect people allowed. So as long as that pertains to you, you are welcome here. And if you're new and you're not perfect, good news, you're sitting around a bunch of really messed up people as well. So like, it's all the level playing field. Uh, and the cool part is Jesus loves us and has a plan uh, in spite of our uh, imperfection, right? So hey, I wanna just say a big, huge thank you real quick. Last weekend was uh, the first time we've ever had uh, the privilege and challenge of uh, serving and hosting at Holiday Festival of Lights at the same time as having two services here on our campus because last year was when we moved from a Friday to a Saturday service. And so just to all of you who served at Holiday Festival of Lights for the kids and to make that an amazing event for our city, as well as served here, and we made both of them happen because of the amazing, amazing people that call Cape Christian home. I just wanna say thank you to all of you, uh, whether you serve one place or the other, or some of you serve both. Can we just hear it for all of our amazing volunteers? Thank you. And then I know you just saw it on the, on the video, but just as a reminder, we're doing something different the last weekend of the year. We're not having church here on our campus, but we're bringing it to you. It is a special service designed for the end of the year for you with your family or your friends. Um, there's gonna be a special worship set. There's gonna be a special message. We're gonna have an online host. We really hope you're gonna join us. And that's gonna run every hour and a half on Saturday and on Sunday. So you can kind of pick the time that works for you. So don't come here the last weekend, but we're gonna come to you. Uh, some of, somebody thought that I was gonna have everybody at my house. That is not what's happening. Um, but online and on video, we're coming to you. So uh, we're gonna finish, uh, continue, in fact, our series, We Three Kings. What we're doing is we're taking three weeks and we're looking at three really, really important central figures to the Christmas story. My heart, my excitement, my goal for this Christmas series this year is that after we're done, every week will build on itself and you will have a much better, clearer picture of what the real Christmas story is and what the world was really like that Jesus uh, was born into. So before we do that, uh, I want you to imagine for a second, if you can, imagine a world where everybody was just in pursuit of wealth and, and people were pursuing power and influence, and they would literally do whatever they had to do to get ahead. They didn't care who they stepped on, who they walked on, just so that they could pursue about prosperity or comfort and, and really at the expense of whoever was in your way. And no, I'm not talking about Black Friday shopping and Christmas shopping. Um, I'm actually talking about the world that Jesus was born into uh, because, um, because the real Christmas story takes place. And when we understand uh, the, the world around the Christmas story, I think it actually makes it mean more to us. We say this regularly here at Cape Christian, but really to understand the words of the Bible and the stories that are in it, it really helps to know the world of the Bible because we here at this church are not just interested in what the Bible says, but we're in the, more interested actually in what the Bible means. Because if you know what the Bible means, then you can know how to apply it to your life. And, and then you don't run the risk of making it say whatever you want it to say to fit your narrative or your philosophy or your point of view. Because God's word, uh, we believe he put it together on purpose. And so we're gonna dive into the world of the Bible as we do most weeks. And we're gonna ask some questions about what was happening there and then. And I think it'll actually give us some really great answers for what does that mean for us here and now. Um, last week, we looked at the account, the Jesus, the Jesus story of him being born. We looked in Luke chapter two. This week, we're gonna look in Matthew chapter two. And so Matthew says this, this is his account. This is what he wanted his readers to know. And remember, they all included details that really, really matter if you understand the world around them. So here's what he says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, 
in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse two says, and he asked, uh, and, they, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Verse four, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Will you bow your heads and let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to speak to us today. God, I thank you that um, every single person who's here, who's watching online or here in person has a story and, and their story matters to you and their story is what makes them up, uh, makes up who they are. And so God, we want to know the real Christmas story as well. We, wanna, we want it to not just be information, but we want it to transform us. Uh, God, we wanna see you at work in this Christmas story. We wanna see you at work there and then, but we wanna see you at work in our lives here and now. And so I pray, God, that you would open our hearts, that you would give me wisdom to lay this out in a way that makes sense, um, and that you would speak to us uh, about what your story, about the Christmas story, has to do with our story. And, um, and God, we just thank you for sending Jesus to be born, and I pray that we would um, just have a greater understanding and appreciation for what that really, really means for us in our lives today. In Jesus' name, and if you agree with that, say amen. So a quick recap from last week, in case you weren't here, because I said every week is gonna kind of build on itself. Uh, last week, we asked the question, what was the world like at the time of Jesus's birth? And so uh, we talked about uh, how the, the, the world was ruled at that time by the Roman Empire. Uh, and the people who ruled the Roman Empire were a list of Caesars. Caesar was our first king we talked about last week. Um, empires ruled the, the Roman world. Now, the Roman world at the type at the time of this empire, was 3,000 miles long from Great Britain all the way to India, most of the modern world at that time. And the way that they ruled is they would take their army, go in and conquer lands, wipe everybody out, enslave them, and then, and then they would rule that area. And so they got into power because they had a huge army, and they got a huge army because they kept raising money by raising the taxes of common, everyday, working-class people. And so um, 80 to 90% of the people were paying for the army, for Caesar to build an empire to get bigger. Uh, in addition to that, in 17 BC at a, at a celebration, um, there was a, a bright star in the sky and it shot into the heavens. And so Caesar Augustus declared that his cosmic hour had come, that that was his father going to be with the gods. And so the parliament declared Caesar the son of God. They believed that Caesar Augustus widely understood Caesar Augustus was actually God who had come to earth to dwell and reign among his people with the reign of peace and prosperity and blessings for all who worshiped him. But the problem was he murdered um, thousands and thousands brutally to get this reign of peace and prosperity. Um, what was commonly understood and what was said in those days is that there is no other name by which man can be saved than that of Caesar Augustus. Uh, that was in order to do business. Basically, you had to accept that as the reality uh, and the main propaganda line of this time was, and say it if you remember it, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. They put it on all their coins. They minted it. They spread it across the 3,000 miles. And so um, in honor of this, this advent uh, of this celebration, Caesar started a 12-day celebration called Advent at the end of every year, and it was to celebrate God coming to be on earth. And if you would bring him sacrifices and pay him offerings, he was gonna offer you a few things. He was gonna offer you the forgiveness of sins. He was gonna remove the guilt from the mistakes that you've made. He was gonna offer you salvation. He was gonna offer you the, the removal of, and the freedom from fear. He was gonna offer you blessing and prosperity. And more than anything, he was gonna offer you 
a fresh start, like kind of like at the new year. So if you worshiped him and brought him gifts, that's what he was gonna do. So this was happening at the time Jesus was born. And so the world that Jesus was born into is a world where Caesar is Lord or Caesar is God. And now we learn in Matthew that Herod is king. So we're gonna talk about King Herod. King Herod is our second crown. He's our second king. Last week, we talked about Caesar, his huge army, and how he invented these great salads that we still eat to this day. Uh, and today, we're going to talk about Herod. And this crown really captures Herod, even compared to Caesar, because Herod still to this day uh, was known as one of the most rich, wealthy people ever to live. He, everything he did was huge and elaborate, uh, and he was the one who reigned in the area of Jesus, that Jesus was born in, in Nazareth, Judea, and Israel. So our second king is King Herod. And so we wanna ask a question just for a minute. What does it mean that Herod was king? Because we know that Caesar is Lord and Herod is king. And when you understand those two things, you have a really great picture of what it means that Jesus was born into this time. So what does it mean that Herod is king? Well, if you're Caesar and you have 3,000 miles to rule, you have a problem. The problem with conquering the world is you now have to rule the world. Are you with me? Just nod your head. Just see, okay, cool. So you have to, so uh, what do you do when you rule from India to Britain, 3,000 miles? Well, that one historian writes this. He says, there was an old and longstanding principle of Roman policy to employ kings among the instruments of servitude. So essentially what would happen is Caesar would go in and his army would conquer a land and then he would find a king in that area and then he would tell them, you rule on our behalf. And basically would say, if you do things our way and you go along to get along, you can rule and you can continue to rule. So they had, uh, because of the Parthian War, uh, Israel was an important part. They had just conquered that area. And so they found this young warrior named Herod. And Herod was half Jewish, half Edomite. Edom was a land really near Israel at that time. Uh, and they found him. And here's what Josephus, the first century historian says about Herod's kind of coming to power in one of his writings, The Wars of the Jews. He says this, and he's talking about Caesar and Mark Antony and the, and the leaders. He says, they resolved to get him, speaking of Herod, they resolved to get Herod made king of the Jews. Mark Antony told them that it was for their advantage in the Parthian War that Herod should be king, so they gave all their votes for it. And when the Senate was separated, Antony and Caesar went out with Herod between them while the consul and the rest of the magistrates went before them in order to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods and to lay the decree in the capital. Mark Antony also made a feast for Herod on the first day of his reign. So if you get the picture, they've just conquered Jerusalem, they conquered Israel, and Caesar and Mark Antony are there in the flesh, and they pick this guy Herod, and they march out together. And if you're there, you know, already know Caesar is Lord. And now all of a sudden, he says, Herod is going to be the king for this region that rules your area. So here's, uh, we're gonna talk about Herod for a couple, a couple minutes because I think if you understand Herod, uh, it'll even help you more understand this story. So here's a picture of Herod. Um, uh, we think maybe that's where they got the idea for Santa Claus. Um, no, that's not true at all. That's not Santa Claus. Um, and in fact, I'm gonna say some things that are true about Herod in about five seconds that are not Santa Claus at all, kids. Santa Claus did not do any of these things. Only Herod did. Um, so here's what we need to know about, about Herod. First of all, that he was a fierce warrior. Um, he brutally uh, massacred thousands of people to take power in Jerusalem, which was part of his home city. Um, and now remember, he's picked as kind of a puppet king by who? Caesar, yeah. So his whole goal is to keep Caesar happy so he can stay in power. So Herod's idea was, I'm gonna build all kinds of things 
all over the empire in Caesar's homage and in Caesar's honor. So he would build buildings and statues, all kinds of things for Caesar. And here's another part of it. A lot of what he built wasn't even in Israel. So when I tell you he built all kinds of things, I just wanna take a minute and give you a picture of what I mean by he built stuff. Again, there's still, historians are still trying to figure out how he accomplished all that he did in the short time that he lived. Uh, so I wanna start with a place called Masada. Masada is an important geographic location in Israel. It's still there to this day. Masada is this kind of impenetrable mountain, kind of in the desert. And there's a legend that goes back that, um, in, it's actually in the Old Testament, that King David, before he was crowned king, he was kind of fleeing for his life with Saul and, uh, and he hid out in a cave. And they believed that that cave was Masada. So Herod said to himself, if the greatest king who ever lived in Israel spent time hiding out in Masada, I'm gonna live a life of luxury on top of Masada. And so we have a video, go ahead and show those flyovers. So you see that in the distant Masada, this huge kind of Mesa mountain where David hid out and Herod says, I know, I'm gonna build a giant palace with luxury on top of this mountain. This is 2000 years ago. They still don't understand how he did some of the things he did. So this, he built a three-story palace on Masada to live a life of luxury. He had all kinds of marble come in and, and columns from Italy. He had marble everywhere. Um, he, had half, he had hot baths installed. He had cold baths installed. Um, he had artists come in and paint all the ceilings and the, and the walls. He had a pool on the roof. This shot is super cool, the overhead. So you can just kind of see he built this unbelievable like palace on Masada. Now, here's my question for you. If you live in the desert and you're on top of a mountain and your pool and your hot tub is really important to you, what's gonna be part of the problem? How do you get water? So he rerouted the waterways of the desert. He, he built these channels called wadis. Every meter, they would drop a centimeter. 2,000 years later, you can still see this. It's less than a centimeter off. For 17 miles away from the mountains, he would reroute these channels so that every time it would rain in the mountains or rain in Jerusalem, all the water would run into these giant holes or cisterns in Masada, and it would fill up enough for him and the whole city, and he could have all his hot tubs and all of his baths. Why? So he can live in luxury at the expense of all the fishermen and farmers and agriculture people who are the working class just trying to feed their families. Do you get a picture of this? Everything he did, he did huge. Probably the craziest thing he did, this blows my mind. So he, I told you he was half Edomite and half Jew, uh, Jewish, which those are pretty close together. He decided, I wanna have a palace halfway between my home in Edom and my home in Jerusalem, and I want it to be on a mountain so when I walk out, I can see both. So he picked the spot that he wanted his palace, but the problem was there was not a mountain there. So he freaking built a mountain. <laughs> he literally moved dirt across the desert. They actually believe he lopped off a part of another mountain range and moved it. You go ahead and show a picture of this place right in the middle and brought in dirt from the sea and from another mountain so he could build another palace of luxury and see both of his spots. And he creatively called it the Herodian. Where did he get that idea? right in between, which it's super interesting because if you know any stories in the Bible, I'm gonna do this because this is how I picture Jesus telling the story. There's a story where Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and if you've been to Israel, you know that if you're sitting on the Mount of Olives and you look past the city, you can actually see the Herodian and Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to be a part of his kingdom and he says this to them while they're looking at this. He says, you know guys, if you have just enough faith, even the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it will. Jesus wasn't just making a general statement of faith. He was talking about what was happening. They're looking at a, Herod, a mountain that Herod built, and he's like, if you have a little faith, the stuff Herod's doing, you'll do way bigger stuff. 
He's also making a statement that if you have a little bit of faith in me and my kingdom and what I'm about, this stuff, no problem. We can take this down. We can cast it into the sea. Everything Jesus did had significance and was just absolutely revolutionary. So, um, so, uh, so this is, this is Masada. This is the Herodian. Uh, he decided also he wanted to build a state-of-the-art Greek city, and he wanted to be a major port. So he went and found out the biggest part, port city in the world at that time was in Athens. And so he made one four times bigger, modern state-of-the-art, and he uh, creatively named it Caesarea, to suck up to Caesar. Uh, and so to this day, he created this port city. Herod the Great built this, Caesarea, and it was four times larger than any port city, and it was beautiful when you came in from the sea. Um, everything Herod did, he did huge. Um, I mentioned that he built a lot of stuff for Caesar, not in Caesar. So here's what you have to understand. See, in his short time, Herod built buildings and temples and statues and altars and libraries and theaters and stadiums and colonnades and baths. He built a road system in Rome, the Roman road. Herod was responsible for starting the Roman road. In fact, one year he even sponsored the Olympic games him and Bob Costas and Nike. It was fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. It was before TD Ameritrade. Hadn't existed yet. So he built building after building after building, most of them, think of this, not in Israel. Now, he wasn't a total idiot. He knew that he would need to do something to appease the people who already hated him. And so the most important uh, a statue or figure in the Jewish world was the temple, the temple of God in the middle of Jerusalem. And so he said, well, let's make it way bigger. And so he built the temple mount on top of the temple so that when you walked into the city, you could see Herod's work. Now, let me tell you, is there any building in this picture that's a little bit bigger than all the other ones? Oh, here it is right here. <laughs> he just took the temple and made it huge so that you could see it from, and you can still see it to this day, you can see the Temple Mount. And he did this to appease uh, some of the, the, the people just because he knew that they hated him. He employed 18,000 people to do this. They, this Temple Mount was over 2.3 million stones. Some of the stones that made this mount were 600 tons. Archaeologists are still trying to figure out how they moved all the stones to build this in the middle of the city for various reasons. It, it was immaculate. So you have to understand, now Herod, controls the religious system. Um, I, I told you he ran the government. If He uh, killed many high priests because he didn't agree with some of the customs. And so if they didn't do what he wanted, he would just kill them. So he controls the religious system. He controls the government system. He controls the economic system. And basically he's forced out all of God's people, all the people who used to live in Jerusalem, they're forced out. And now in Jerusalem are these government, parliament, rich, elite, small group of haves that are basically doing Herod's work for him. Do you kind of get a picture of Herod at this point? His family, he had 11 wives, as you do, uh, and he had 43 children. At uh, one point, he became suspicious of one of his, uh, his wives for fooling around, and so he had her killed. Uh, he became suspicious of one of his sons for not being loyal, so he had him drown in the pool kind of as this public spectacle. Uh, there's, one point, there's one thing that's recorded in history where two of his sons, he was convinced, were conniving behind his back and planning to overthrow him and take over his throne. And so he brings them before him and they, they plead for their lives. He says, give an account. And so in, it's actually written, their speeches are recorded. Some of these like gut-wrenching, like, Father, no, we're, we're like pledged to you. But he decided he didn't believe them and so he had them executed. So he was extremely paranoid. In fact, let me tell you the crazy, like the lengths that he went for this tyrant, crazy, paranoid. Towards the end of his life, 
uh, he made a decree. He said, I want you to take all of the most influential Jews and lock them in the Hippodrome in Jericho. The Hippodrome was a stadium. You can see it here in this picture. Kind of like if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur where they would do the chariot races or they would do different uh, games and they'd have you know, a competition, sometimes even the Olympic games. Those would have been in Hippodromes. Towards the end of his life, Herod said, I want you to take the most influential societal Jews and put them in the Hippodrome and barricade the doors and then wait for me to die. And then the day that I die, I want you to massacre all of them so that on my death, I will be guaranteed that there will be weeping and mourning all across and throughout Israel. This is your king. This is your king. So Caesar is Lord, but if you don't go along with me, I'll kill you. And Herod is your king, and he's also raising the taxes and building this life of luxury and building stuff for Caesar, not in your hometown at the expense of everyday people. So if they all got moved out, you have to ask yourself, where did they get the food? 80 to 90% of people in Jesus's day were involved in agriculture of some sort, fishing, farming, those types of things. Well, if you look at even uh, historical pictures, they, all the people have moved out of the city. There's no agriculture. So they're in the outskirts as shepherds and fishermen and farmers. Um, and so because you have this small minority of the rich now living in Jerusalem, uh, Herod at those days would have taken 25 to 33% of the grain uh, and 50% of the fish, and that's before the temple tax, and that's before Caesar's tax. This is in addition, which is why last week we talked about how taxation at this point was 80 to 90%. So imagine for a second what it was like to live in these days. Imagine that you are the working class. You're barely, you work all day and all night. You're barely able to feed your family. You work tirelessly, and Caesar and Herod and the tax collectors are taking all of your crops, all of your harvest, all of your fish, so that... Herod can have another palace with a hot tub on it and so that Caesar can make his empire bigger somewhere else. How do you feel about life in this point? How do you feel about being one of God's chosen people? You, you, the oppression and the slavery, and you probably knew several people who had been killed by either Herod or Caesar or his army. And if you had a problem with it, they would just kill you because remember, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God, and Herod is king. And everyone's in debt and a few people have all the wealth, all the money, all the power, and the masses are starving. This is the world that Jesus was born into. So some of the songs we sing, maybe it wasn't such a silent night. Maybe it wasn't joy. Maybe it, there was some things going on that made it not so awesome. If you have, if you're one of your family members were locked in the hippodrome. And so this is the world Jesus was born into. So now let's go back to our scripture and let's look at a few uh, of the things Matthew includes that his readers would have understood in those days as they're reading this Jesus story and see if it, makes, it has any more meaning or significance to us. So Matthew chapter two, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. So let's say you're reading this letter like 30 years later. Like if you read those words, King Herod, right? You're like, oh, Herod, I hate that guy. In fact, if you go on an Israel tour today, they still have a saying 2,000 years later, Herod the Great, who people love to hate. That's th that carried on 2,000 years. So if you, you read Herod, you're like, Herod, Herod, Herod. You know, like that's, like it has that effect on you. Like, ah, we're not, we're... so watch this though. So, oh, and Herod specifically was king of the Jews, right? So Herod says, and it says he, these, no, go back to verse one. I want to finish reading that. So King Herod, it says, Magi from the east would have been wise man astrologers. Come from the east and ask Jerusalem. I love this. Now that we know this, watch this, verse two. They came to Herod and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. If you're Herod, and these three wise guys come up to you and like, hey, we saw a star. Um, where's the real king of the Jews? If you're Herod, you're like, excuse me? 
Run that by me one more time. I didn't see the Instagram. What did you say? <laughs> hey, no, tell us. We heard that the king of the Jews is born. If you're Herod, what are you thinking? You were like, who do I need to kill next? Right? So he finds out it's a baby, and so he just wipes out all the kids, all the boys, two years and under. Why? Because he didn't want to take any chances. This is what it meant to be the reign of King Herod. And now that you know who lives in Jerusalem, go, to, go ahead and jump to verse three. It says this. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with it. Why? Who lives in Jerusalem? Not the Jews, not the farmers, not the poor people. Herod's elites, his, his payroll, his bankroll. They believe he had 500,000 people on his bankroll. Like Bill Gates has like a paper route compared to Herod. <laughs> so this is the world. And now all of a sudden there's this news that the birth of this baby Jesus. Do you see how the birth of Jesus at this time in history threatens everything? It threatens the whole system, a system of climbing to get on top and getting wealth and power and position and prestige and influence and prosperity and blessing at the expense of you and your tribe. And some of us, our lives have felt that way. Your story has felt like you have been the one that other people have walked over and conquered and oppressed and enslaved so that they could, whether it was in a relationship or financially or business or a divorce or your kids, it's like, man, I'm just the one that other people walk over to get to their wealth and power and prestige. If you've ever felt like this, this story should be one of the greatest stories ever told that brings more hope because Jesus threatens everything. Because Herod's king and Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is born. The minute Jesus was born, the whole thing was threatened. And so Matthew is telling us this story and he's making us confront the question is, who's your real king? Who's the king? Who's your Lord? Luke asks us, who is your Lord? Is it Caesar or is it Jesus? Matthew asked you, who's your king? Is it Herod or is it Jesus? What is, what is it that you're looking for, for satisfaction, for fulfillment? What are you pursuing? Is it wealth? Is it power? Is it influence? Is it possessions? Is it statues and hot tubs and Masada and the Olympic games? Is it the system? Is it comfort? Is it prosperity? Or is it Jesus? Because they will not be able to, I'm going to spoil the rest of the, the gospel for you. They don't coexist very well. Because Jesus shows up and he makes this crazy announcement that forever changed history. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If you've been in this church very long, you hear me talk about this all the time. Because Jesus didn't come to establish a different version of the same kingdom. He came to bring something new that had never been done before for everybody on every caste and every part of society. And it didn't matter if you were the wealthy and the haves or the poor and the have-nots, if you were the right race, the right gender, the wrong race, the wrong gender, Jesus came once for all, for everybody, and he threatened the entire system. Imagine for a second living in this world. Imagine just being like a peasant in a small village in Galilee. Everybody's in heavy debt. You lost your family lands that were in your, your family for 20, 30, 40 generations to pay the taxes. And you can't pay your bills. And Herod has just announced, we're gonna raise taxes again because I wanna build another palace and another statue for Caesar. And all of a sudden, you're like, here we go again. And then all of a sudden, some of these shepherds or some of these artisans or whatever start sneaking into your village and they go, hey, did you hear a baby was born? Did you hear? We think the Messiah has been born, the one that Jeremiah and the one that Malachi and the one that Micah and all the prophets, all the prophecies, we think he, his star was here and the Magi came and all the virgin came and all the things and all the stuff that was said for hundreds and hundreds of years. Did you hear a baby was born? If you've, been, if you've lost your family lands and you've been divorced and you've been in debt and you, and you can't seem to get on top and all of a sudden there's hope that a baby was born and he is the Messiah, he's gonna come. How much hope and how much joy do you have that it doesn't have to keep being this way? 
This is the world that God decided to parachute his son into because this isn't just their story then. See, the Christmas story isn't just about eggnog and Christmas sweaters and reindeer and more people having more stuff. The Christmas story is good news to poor people. It's hope to people who feel like they've lost hope. It's joy to people who feel like depression is gonna get the last word because this kingdom he brought was a kingdom of hope and joy and purpose in this life here on this earth as well as in eternity with him because hope came into the world when it looked like all hope was lost as a baby. And when he said, my kingdom is not of this world, he didn't come to overthrow the government system and he didn't come to overthrow the economic system. He didn't print coins with his name on it that said, Jesus is Lord. He didn't come to change the economy. He didn't come to take over militarily. What he came is to offer something for every single person because see, in that culture and in that system and throughout history, you always had to be on the right side of society, the right side of the tracks, the right side of the gender conversation, the right side of the ethnic conversation to have wealth and have power and have purpose. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Those are false kings. Those are false lords. Those are false things that bring false hope and false happiness. And I am the one true king to bring true joy, true peace, true salvation. I offer freedom from fear. I offer salvation from your sins. I offer the ability to remove the guilt from your sins. I offer a fresh start. I offer salvation. Those false kings, they may have their day, but hair is going down. This is the Christmas story. And if Jesus came into that world and flipped it on its head, what do you think he wants to do in your world? What do you think he wants to do in our culture, in our society, in your world. If he could change that, he has plans for you. I believe some of us, we, we fit right into this story because our life is like, we feel like we're on the wrong side and we're oppressed and the relationships don't work out and the brokenness and, and our story is that, man, we can't figure it out with our kids and why does this keep happening to me? And it seems like everybody else is getting on top and all the neighbors are doing well and I go on Instagram and I go on Facebook and, and they're all living large and I cannot crawl out of this hole. May this story remind you that a baby was born and it changed everything. And here's the crazy thing. He built, some of us, we need to understand this. He built his kingdom. But when he built his kingdom, some of them were still poor. Some of them were still oppressed. They didn't all become rich and life got easy. They realized there was something greater to live for. There was a relationship to be had with the living God. And there was purpose that went beyond anything that the world can offer, that there's nothing external that can satisfy an internal longing. And he came to do both. And that's what this kingdom is. And so no matter where you're at in the spectrum, no matter where you're at on the totem pole, Jesus came for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every gender, every time in history. He came for, he came for me and he came for you. He came for Muslims and Buddhists and atheists and black people and white people. And he came so that all could know because his will is that none should perish, but all should have everlasting life. That's what he came to do. So this story is that Caesar doesn't get the last word. Herod doesn't get the last word. Cancer doesn't get the last word. Divorce doesn't get the last word. Debt doesn't get the last word. Depression doesn't get the last word. Bankruptcy doesn't get the last word. The, the breakup doesn't have to be the end of the story. The thing that didn't go well, the business thing that broke down, doesn't have to be the last word because a baby was born there and then and he came for us here and now, just like he came for them there and then. It's the greatest story ever told. True hope, true joy came. And this isn't a story that was meant to be told as a story, but it was a person who came because he wants to be a part of your story. 
Some of us, we've been trying to reach the wealth and the power and the influence and the position, and we've been trying to get a part of the empire, and we've been trying to get on the right side, and all we've been trying, and we've exhausted ourselves. And, and it's interesting how taxed they were in those days. I think we have the same type of taxation. I'm just not talking about the IRS. I am not talking about the IRS. <laughs> For all of you watching online. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about our lives. How many people do I meet? that there's not enough money in the bank, energy in the tank, that we're always being pulled to the next thing, the next thing, and we can't get ahead. And I believe we're being taxed in the same way. And Jesus says, that doesn't have to be the way it is. I can give you peace in the middle of that. I can give you purpose in the middle of that. You can be a light giver, salt giver, hope giver, value adder everywhere you go. And every moment can have purpose. And here's the reality of the kingdom. Some of us are gonna experience some of it here on earth. And some of us are gonna experience it on the other side of eternity. But either way, Caesar doesn't get the last word. Because the, the angel said, you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not God before us, not God after us, not God over us, not God under us, God with us. He came to be with them there, but he came to be with you here and now. And he offers a relationship where you can peel back all the junk and all the religion and all the rules. And he's saying, I did all the work. You realize he started where we hope to end up, right? Like he started where we all hope to land. And he's like, I'll leave it. I'll live perfect. I'll sacrifice myself. I'm not gonna sacrifice anybody else for power. I'm gonna sacrifice my power on behalf of everybody else. And I'm gonna offer it to you freely. I'm gonna pay the debt. I'm gonna do all the things. And if you just make room in your heart and your life for Jesus. Some of you, this is the story you need to hear because you've been trying so hard to do all the things. And it's as simple as just receiving him freely. Because as the story goes, Jesus wasn't just born, but Jesus lives. He lives. And he doesn't just live. He shall reign forever and ever and ever. That's my king. That's my Lord. Because he is in a, in a world of false hope, false kings, false lords. He's the true king of kings. He's the true Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. And if that's not the best story ever told, what are we even doing? Amen. So Jesus came to be with us. My question is, is he with you? It's a free gift. He did all the work and he's made himself available. Is he with you? We're going to sing a song. It's called Emmanuel. It's about God being with us. And as we sing this song, I want you to ask yourself the question, is he with me? Is there a place in my room? Is there room in my heart or in my life? I need to make space for him. Have I never even allowed him to be with me? We're gonna sing this song and I'm gonna invite you, if you're physically able, would you stand and join us as we sing and reflect on what does it mean that Jesus came to be with us? Thank you. 
God, we thank you that you came. You sent your son as a baby, vulnerable, in a, in a time in history where it didn't make sense, where everything was backwards, and you gave hope and you gave peace. God, may we be reminded this year, this season, this time of our life to make room for you that, that you really are the thing that we're looking for. God, I, I just pray for anybody here who came in with a heavy weight, who feels like there's just no end in sight and there's uh, that there's, this is never gonna change, that they would know that a baby was born and it changed everything. And I, I believe that you brought them here this weekend or they're watching online from somewhere else in the world because you wanted them to know that the answer that they've been looking for has always been in Jesus. And he's not gonna hold their mistakes and their past against them. He has only love, only grace, only forgiveness for them. So God, thank you for not just coming there and then, for but being with us here and now, and that your presence goes with us. God, one of the greatest promise that you gave is that you would be with us always to the very end of the age, and that wherever we go, you would go with us. So thank you that your spirit goes with us everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or have questions, we have a team.